We're talking about shift this year. That's our theme for the year. And I really feel like the Holy Spirit is here this morning to shift some things in our lives. We've been talking about this month, shifting our why. Why do we do the things that we do? What's the reason? We do all sorts of things in the name of God. We do all sorts of things in the name of pursuing our calling of God, the calling of God in our lives. But what is the why behind all of that? And we've been talking about shifting our why. And so this is the last month that we're focusing on that particular subject. And so I think it's appropriate to talk this morning about how do we maintain that why going throughout our lives? How do we maintain our connection to that why? Because it's easy to, well, I don't know if it's easy, but it's, it's something we've been talking about is starting off, finding that why so that we're starting off in a particular direction. We're fully convinced that this is the direction God wants us to go. We know how that resonates with his calling on our life. We know how that resonates with his ultimate purpose. And we're setting off, we're facing in this direction. But what can happen so often is that as we go on, maybe things don't go as well as we had hoped they would. Maybe it's harder than we thought it would be. Maybe there's opposition from people that we didn't expect. And so the frustration and the resentment starts to build up inside of us until we keep doing the things, you know, it looks the same from the outside, but no one else can see what we know, that we've lost that connection somewhere along the way with our why. Or maybe it doesn't go badly. Maybe it goes really well. Maybe we're super successful in what we're doing and we're, we're just winning, we're succeeding and then our ego starts to come in and we start to think, gee, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm succeeding. So I wonder if people know just how good I am. Maybe I need to sort of leverage this thing now so that I can build up my reputation so that I can bring myself some honor so people know just how good I am at succeeding at this. And from the outside, it looks the same, but nobody else can see what we know that we have lost somewhere along the way, that connection with our why or maybe it doesn't go spectacularly badly or spectacularly well maybe it's just okay it's just meh and but it's a marathon rather than a sprint and so as we're going on we just get into this routine but we grow bored and distracted and somewhere along the way we lose that connection to our why so I want to talk this morning about how we can maintain that connection to our why. Because sin is so insidious. You know, we start off with great intentions, with great motives, but sin will just sort of get its hooks into us. And before we know it, it's just got us turned around and facing a completely different direction. Have you ever had that experience? I experienced that. It's like one time I was... Uh, in another city, in a foreign city, for work. And from my hotel, I had to get to another place. It was probably 20 minutes walk across the city. And so I knew the direction that I had to go. And so I set off in this direction. And being from Adelaide, if you want to get anywhere in Adelaide, you just face yourself in that direction and you'll end up there because the streets are just all completely straight. But this street that I was sitting down, it looked like it was straight. I thought it was straight. But I didn't know what I saw later on a map. 
it just had this sort of slight curve to it. And so after walking for about 40 minutes, I didn't recognise anything around me and stopped in at a local cafe and said, I'm trying to get over here, can you tell me where I am? They said, no, you're in, you're in completely the wrong part of the city, you've got to go miles over this way now. Sometimes sin is like that, it just gets in there and just sort of subtly twists our motives and before we know it, we don't realise until it's too late, we've wandered completely off the path, we've wandered somewhere completely different from where we set out to go. Or sometimes it's not subtle, sometimes sin will just grab us and rip us around and it's sudden and it's messy and it's traumatic but either way whether it's subtle or whether it's sudden sin just wants to pull us around distract us distort our why if we let it even good things can become harmful if they become detached from our why you know as paul says in his letter to the corinthians I could be up here preaching right now. I could be preaching the most eloquent sermon that you've ever heard. I'm not saying I am, but I could be, right? But if I'm not motivated by love for you, then we might as well just get Shane to come up here and just bang his cymbal for 30 minutes for all the good that it's going to do. Our why, the reason that we do things, is so important. I'm not saying that wouldn't be enjoyable, Shane. I'm sure it would be. So I think, I want to suggest this morning, the thing that guards us against sin, the thing that helps us, that stops us, stops sin from distorting our why, is unity. Unity. So how does unity help us to maintain our why? I want to draw out four things about unity from Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. The letter is... A lot of the letter is focused on unity. And here's four things from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Number one, unity is God's destiny for his people. Unity is God's gift to his people. Unity is God's expectation of his people. And unity is God's presence with his people. So let me unpack those. Unity is God's destiny for his people. Paul starts off this letter to the Ephesians with just, he's kind of listing out all the things that God has blessed us with, kind of a big summary of everything that God has blessed us with. And then he gets to verse 9, chapter 1, verse 9, and he says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. This is God's purpose. This is what Paul calls the mystery of his will. To bring all things into unity under Christ. This is where things are headed. Although you wouldn't necessarily know it to look around at the world around us. You wouldn't necessarily even know it to look around at the church around us, perhaps. But this is God's ultimate purpose, to bring all things into unity under Christ. So what does this have to do with maintaining our why? 
Well, let me ask you something. Why are we here this morning? What are we doing here this morning? We come together like this every Sunday morning and sometimes on Sunday evenings and sometimes throughout the week at various times in smaller groups for different purposes. Discipleship groups, connect groups. Why do we do all of these things? It's because when we come together like this in unity, under Christ, to praise him, to lift him up as king, to remember his death and his resurrection as we do every week, but especially when we have communion and coming up to Easter, to sing and say how we love him. When we do these things, we are actively participating in God's ultimate purpose for his creation. His purpose is to bring all things into unity under Jesus. And when we come here, it's like a little microcosm of God's purpose that's happening here right now. It's a testimony to the world of what God's purpose is and what God's purpose looks like. This is the reason that we do all of these things. And I'm just using Sunday mornings as an example, but apply this to everything, apply this to anything that you do. Because you can come in, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. You can come into this service on a Sunday morning and you know the routine. If you've been here for any length of time, you pretty much know the routine by now. So you come in, you find your usual seat, you sit down, then we sing a few songs, you stand up, then someone prays, then you sit down again, then you talk to some people, we banish the kids for a while, someone gets up here and talks for too long and then mercifully it's all over and you can go and get a coffee. <laughs> That's what it can be. That's what it can be. And actually, I want to say that in a room of people this size, that might be what it is for one or two people here this morning, right now. And I think I'm probably even on safer ground saying that for many people in this room, that, it, that is what it has been at some point. So how do we maintain that connection to our why, the why behind what we're doing here this morning? Remembering that we are participating in God's ultimate purpose for his universe. I mean, this is epic what's going on here this morning. It's not just us coming together and singing some songs and whatever. This is something epic that's going on. This is something that is working towards the ultimate purpose that God has for his universe. Secondly, God, unity is God's gift to his people. In chapter 4, Ephesians, starting from verse 1, Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Where does our unity come from? Paul calls it the unity of the Spirit. This is a unity that is God's gift to his people. It's not something that we produce. Paul doesn't say make every effort to produce the unity of the Spirit, but to keep it. It's something that God gives us. If the Holy Spirit is in me and if the Holy Spirit is in you, then we have unity through that same Holy Spirit, which is a gift 
of God to us. Paul says we need to keep it, but the unity is produced by God. And Paul goes on to talk about how many gifts God gives to his church in order to produce this unity in us. He just showers us with gifts. In 4 verse 11, Paul says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. This is God's why. So that the body of Christ may be built up into unity. And God just pours out gifts. I mean, Paul lists a few things here, pastors, evangelists, prophets, etc. But the whole letter to the Ephesians, and in fact, all of Paul's letters, he's basically just expounding on all the things that God has blessed us with. And the first chapter of Ephesians, which I was talking about before, Paul sort of gives a summary of all the things that God has done for us. And actually, in the language that it was written in, in Greek, it's just one long sentence. They break it up for us in English, so it's more intelligible, I suppose, to us. It fits more with our style of grammar. But I almost wish they wouldn't. I wish they'd just leave it as one long sentence because it's almost like Paul just, he can't stop to take a breath. There's so many things that God has blessed us with. He's just going on and on and on and on, just one after the other, just reeling them off. There are so many things that God gives us in order to produce this unity. It's like one of my favorite books is Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. I read it every Christmas. I love that story. And I'm, I'm sure if you haven't read the book, I'm sure at least you might have seen the movie or you know the story. Anyway, being a father of you know, young children, I've seen probably most of the movies that are around. I think there's a Muppets one. There's, a, there's one with Jim Carrey. There's a Mickey Mouse one. I've seen them all. But I love the book the most. But in this book, it's about this guy, Ebenezer Scrooge. He's just the most miserable, selfish man you could imagine at the start of the book. But the book is about this transformation that happens in his life so that by the end of the book, spoiler alert here, but it has been around for about 150 years, so I think you've had your chance. By the end of the book, Scrooge has been completely transformed and now he is just so extravagantly generous. It's like he's just trying to come up with new ways. He's trying to be creative. How can I be more generous, especially to this guy that he was really mean to earlier on? How can I bless him? I'm going to buy this feast for him and what else can I do? Oh, I'm going to you know, uh, bless his children. I'm going to give them some Christmas gifts and, and what else can I do? What else can I do? To me, this is like a picture of God just extravagantly, abundantly blessing us with everything that we need in order to produce this unity which is his purpose for his creation. This is all a gift of God to us. Extravagant, abundant generosity from God. But in case you think from me saying all of that that there's nothing for us to do, the third point is that unity is God's expectation 
of his people. In that verse I just read, Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. How much effort should we make? Every. Every effort. That's a lot of effort. And you know, we're often, we often say, well, I'm fine with making some effort. I'm willing to put in a bit of effort. But where's the line, Jesus? Where's the line? It's like when my mum used to ask me to come and clean the lounge room when I was a kid. You know, come on, there's toys and books and stuff everywhere. Come out here and clean up the lounge room. Oh, okay. But how many things do I need to pick up? We always want to know what's the minimum amount that we can do and still get a passing grade on this thing. And of course, her response is, well, how many things are on the floor? Because the purpose, her purpose in that was not to keep a tally of how many things I'm picking up off the floor each day, like there was some quota that I had to meet. If there's one thing on the floor, you pick up one thing, you've accomplished the purpose. If there's 50 things on the floor, guess how many things you're picking up? One, yeah. <laughs> That's, that sounds like my household. <laughs> Unity is not passive. Unity is active. Make every effort. This is where it, unity differs from tolerance. We hear a lot about tolerance in our world. Tolerance is having a kind of live and let live attitude. You do your thing and I'll do my thing. And there's something to be said for that because we're all different, right? We're all different. I mean, I'm a scientist. That's what I do most days. Um, you'll find me in the laboratory talking to other science geeks, saying things like, well, if you consider the uh, molecular ion pattern on the mass spectrometer, then you'll find it. Right? Just nerding it up with my scientific <laughs> friends. But one of my sisters is... An artist. She's a photographer and a painter. She does all sorts of different things. And one time she asked me to come to her. They were having their final exhibition when she was graduating from art school. And so I went along to this, uh, to this building. I met her out the front. We went downstairs into this kind of basement thing. And I immediately knew I'm not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> the, I mean... I think I like art. I appreciate art. But, I mean, some of this, I don't, I don't really understand it. You know, one, one person had gathered together a whole bunch of roadkill and kind of arranged it in these strange formations, which I'm sure was meant to be like a, a profound commentary on the nature of our society or something like that. I didn't get it. It went straight over my head. And the people there, I mean, they were, they were just so different to... The people that I'm used to. I mean, one guy was literally wearing a beret, you know. And I just thought to myself, these are not my people. <laughs> We're all different, right? So, so there's something to be said for tolerance. Live and let live. I mean, if we had a bit more tolerance in our world, perhaps tra traumas like the Christchurch incident that happened a few weeks ago wouldn't happen. There is something to be said for tolerance, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about tolerance because tolerance is essentially a passive thing. You do your thing, I'll do my thing, and we won't bother each other if our things are different. 
That's tolerance. But what Paul's talking about here is unity, which is active. Make every effort. Unity is actively seeking the good of others. It's not a passive thing. If you're being passive, then you're not seeking unity. But we always want to know where the line is. Someone once asked Jesus that question. Where's the line? Man comes to him and says, how do I inherit eternal life, Jesus? And he said, well, what do you read in the Bible? Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yeah, good. Go and do those things. And the man says, well, who is my neighbor? You know, because I, I know you can't be saying I have to love everybody as I love myself. I mean, that's, that's crazy talk. So where's the line, Jesus? Who are these people that I have to love as myself? Is it my family? Is it the people that live around me? Is it my countrymen? Tell me, where is the line? And what Jesus does, as he so often does, when people challenge him with something like this, he tells a story about a man who was walking down the road, was set upon and beaten up, left for dead. And then a bunch of people, people who were the man's own countrymen, people who were the man's own relatives, people who were, you know, respected people in, in his area, just walked straight past him. And then a man comes along who is essentially an enemy of this guy, or at least someone who is a rank outsider, someone who would not normally associate with this guy. Neither of them would associate with each other. And this man comes along, and he picks him up, and he takes him, he pays his medical expenses, he gets him back on his feet. If even your enemy is your neighbor, then where do you think the line is? Make every effort. If we come to Jesus and we ask him that question, where's the line? Jesus, I'll make some effort to accomplish this unity that I know is your purpose, but where's the line? I think what he's likely to say to us is, you know where the line is? It's this way. That's the line. That's the line that God was willing to cross. That's the line that God didn't shrink from. He gave up everything. His generosity was extravagant. And when we, when we understand that it's God's gift to us, His many gifts to us, that allow us to make every effort, then that's when we can help each other to reach our full potential because we can afford to be generous in the way that we treat other people. It's not, not just generosity in terms of our time and our money, 
uh, you know, our material things, but generosity in the way that we think about people as well. We, when we realize God's generosity towards us, we can afford to be generous in our attitudes towards other people. We can afford to be generous in our forgiveness of other people because other people are going to upset us, are going to hurt us, are going to annoy us, irritate us. And some of those things are, are maybe trivial, but there are a lot of hurts in life which are not trivial, which, you know, we get hurt sometimes by people who we did not expect that from. We get hurt sometimes by people who we have been generous towards and then we find that that generosity is not coming back to us. And that's a real hurt, so I don't want to trivialize that. But when we understand just how generous God has been to us, that frees us. It, there's a freedom in that, that we then get to be generous toward other people. We get to forgive other people. Yes, it's extravagantly generous to forgive someone who has hurt you. You may have a right to hold on to that hurt. But God is so extravagantly generous toward us. And when we understand that, we can be extravagantly generous toward others. And then we all help each other to stay connected to our why. Because, you know, the worst thing is if I'm hurt... And then I respond out of that hurt towards you. You know what that does? That hurts you. And that distorts you from your why. That breaks your connection to your why. Because now you're dealing with all that resentment and so on. It's just like this vicious cycle. But instead, it doesn't have to be like that. It can be a cycle of generosity. Where I'm generous towards you. And then you respond out of that generosity towards someone else and all of us are responding out of the generosity that God has given to each one of us and fourthly unity is God's presence with his people and this is really the key this is really the key to all of the other things all of those other three things how do we keep our focus on the fact that unity is God's purpose? We might know it, we might understand it, but how do we keep our focus on it? We might know that God gives every good gift to us, but how do we keep our focus on that? How do we stay receptive to that? We might know that we should make every effort, that that's what God expects of us, but how do we keep our focus on that, without our why getting distorted, without us getting pulled around until we're facing in a different direction. Unity is God's presence with his people because God is unity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit exist in perfect unity and always have. Before anything was created... There was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit existing in perfect unity. And this is not something that is easy to understand. In fact, I would, I would go so far as to say it's not really possible to understand. How can God be three persons and yet one God? It just it breaks our minds. Sometimes we try and come up with different 
analogies to try and explain that, but it, it's something that will just, if you think about it for long enough, it will break your brain. You can't understand it. And in a sense, that's, un, that's to be expected because how could we expect as humans to understand our Creator? He is so far beyond us. It, it makes sense in a way that we can't understand Him. And Christians have been wrestling with this, trying to understand this for years. And I've read some of the greatest minds in the history of the church on this issue. And I'll tell you a secret, they don't understand it either. It's not something that we can understand. And that's why in Paul's letter here to the Ephesian church, he doesn't focus on trying to explain how God works, how this unity within God works so that we can understand it with our minds. Instead, what he stresses is that we should experience this unity of God. The unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as you read through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he's constantly saying things like, we are in Christ, and the Spirit is in us, and Christ is in the Father, and we are in the Spirit, and Christ is in us. It's like this whole sort of, you know, it's like God is enveloping us into his unity. Day by day, moment by moment, he's just welcoming us in to that unity. Have you ever been welcomed into a group of people or a family where, where you, didn't, you didn't belong in that family or that group at first, but you started going there and, and they just welcome you in as if you always were one of the family? I mean, when I uh, got married to Suze, even when we started going out, her family, she's got a big family, they just welcomed me in straight away as part of the family. Just treated me like everyone else. I had to do dishes like everyone else. But I also got the privileges of being part of the family like everyone else. There's something so, so amazing about feeling like you belong. That you are welcomed in and you are treated as if you are one of the people who belong there. Just as much as anybody else. And this is what God does for us. He welcomes us in to his unity and he treats us the way that he treats his son, his son with whom he has perfect unity and he treats us the same way. Come on, welcome in, welcome in. You belong here. You are part of this, this thing that I'm doing. You are part of it. And that being in, you know, I think I remember Pastor Bruce talking about this a couple of weeks ago in his sermon, you know, being out and then moving from that place of being out of God accepting his invitation and then being in but the being in is not a static thing being out is static being out is being dead basically it's it's boring it's living life in black and white but when we step in when we accept God's invitation to become part of what he is doing become part of this unity that he exists with at his core that's not a static thing. It's a dynamic thing. It's a, it's a constantly being pulled further in. Day by day, moment by moment, God is constantly drawing us further in. And you know what? There's no end. There's no end to this being drawn in. There's no end to God. And so there is no end to this continual nature of Him drawing us further and further in. And you know what happens? As God 
is drawing me in, and as God is drawing you in, guess what? We are drawn closer together. That's how God is accomplishing this purpose of bringing all things to unity under Christ. He is drawing us in. Not just me, not just you. His people, he is drawing us all in until we reach this unity. And he will stop at nothing to accomplish this purpose. And he invites us to join in this purpose with him in whatever form that takes. Coming here together on a Sunday morning, when you open your Bible, when you're at home, when you tell someone about the good news of Jesus who hasn't heard it before, when you do any of these things, you are participating in God's ultimate purpose. And day by day, moment by moment, as we allow ourselves to be drawn further in to His unity, that keeps us focused on the ultimate destiny. It keeps us focused on the fact that God is the giver of gifts. God is the giver of this unity. It keeps us focused, keeps us motivated to make every effort because we can't do it in our own strength. It's all flowing out of what God has done, done for us on the cross and what God continues to do for us day by day. Let me ask the team to come back up. Perhaps for some of you this morning, you're feeling like you, you're not out, you know you're in, but things have become static. If you're honest with yourself, you've become bored, distracted, things haven't gone as you hoped, whatever, you've lost connection with your why somehow. God wants to invite you this morning to allow him to draw you further in. Living this Christian life is a dynamic thing. It's exciting. It's epic. We get to participate in God's ultimate purpose for His universe. God wants to re-establish your connection with your why. He wants to re-establish your connection with His why. If you'll allow Him to draw you further in. Let's close our eyes. Father, I thank you this morning that your spirit is here. I thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. I thank you that you did not spare anything in your pursuit of bringing all things into unity under Christ. And if those words I was saying before are describing you this morning. If you've lost connection with the reason why you've been doing the things that you do, if you've stopped allowing God to draw you further and further in, why don't you put your hand up this morning? I want to pray for you. We all get in that place from time to time, which is why we need each other. We're not doing this alone. We can't do this alone. When I lose connection with my why, I need you to help me re-establish that. And when you lose connection with your why, I will help you re-establish that. And all of us working together out of the gifts that God gives, out of the goodness 
that God gives. He is a good God. Father, I pray for those people who've raised their hands this morning, who are feeling that disconnection from their why. Lord, would you come and fill this place with your spirit? Would you pour into them your spirit? As Paul says in Ephesians, go on being filled with the spirit. It's a continual thing. And for those who are feeling like they're depleted, like they're distracted, like they've lost that connection. Father, if you did not spare even your own son, then there is nothing that you won't do. We are confident there is nothing you won't do to reestablish that connection with us. So Father, draw us in this morning. Turn us around, spin us around. Get those hooks of sin out of us where they've landed in us. Turn us around so we're facing the right direction and draw us in, invite us in. Open our hearts, open our eyes, open our minds so that we are receptive to what your spirit is doing with us right now, here this morning and what you want to do with us as the days and the months and the years go on. Keep us connected to that unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Envelop us in that unity. Welcome us in to that unity. Surround us, baptize us in that unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. And if there is anyone here this morning who who is still in that place of being out and you haven't accepted God's invitation to move in, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. That's just the start of the journey. It's not the end of the journey. There's a constant pulling in after that, but that is a critical first step to allow God to invite you into that place of being in, surrendering your purpose to His purpose, surrendering your will to His will, surrendering your why to His why. So if there's anyone, let me just give a moment. Why don't you raise your hand? I want to pray for you as well. Is anyone in that category? Father, we thank you that you are constantly pulling people towards yourself. We pray that you would open our eyes so that we can see how your spirit is at work in the people around us. So that we can see how you are pulling people towards you and we can get in there and participate in that because you've called us to participate. This is not something where we are spectators just watching your purpose unfold for the universe. You've called us to participate in that with you. And Father, I thank you for every gift that you've given us so that we can participate in that. Father, we want to overflow with the Spirit. We want to overflow with your love. We want to overflow with your purpose. We want your why to be so ingrained in our hearts that everything we do, not just every religious thing, everything we do is motivated, is coming out of that why to pursue your purpose, to bring all things to unity under one head, under one King, under one God, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.